Hello and welcome to episode 298 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you as usual in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Brenton, Washington, home of, in your fashion, <laughs> the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Oh, wow. I just like, you were really getting into it. Uh, I wanted to make sure I said it correctly after a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Well, if you haven't already listened, we've we've already put out a full hour and a half pod length podcast this week because we had so much fun talking with Mike Sean Dugar of the Athletic and the Man to Man podcast yesterday night about the uh, the Seattle Seahawks offseason and their future. So definitely be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Uh, this week's podcast will therefore probably not be as football focused, although we might have to talk about Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams <laughs> at some point here. Okay. But right now, what we're going to talk about is the Baxter Cold IPA from our friends at Fremont Brewing, which uh, Third Pelton brother Zach Jabal brought my attention to right away because of the fact that it happens to be named after uh, or share a name with my uh, ESPN colleague Baxter Holmes, as I, as I tagged on Instagram earlier. Uh, part of Fremont's rotating IPA series named after and in honor of the pets of Fremont. There's not any other information about this beer on the website or on the can. So I, I don't know what a cold IPA is. I was going to say, I guess we're gonna find that's out. literally, the, I don't really care about what it's named after. Finding out what a cold IPA to me is much more important, <laughs> but okay. Is it like cold fusion? I don't know. A new spin on IPAs that work to give drinkers a crisper IPA without dipping too far into being a lager style. So... They aren't afraid to unleash the hops and crank up the AP, ABV with a crystal clear clarity. All right. There you go. Guess I, we'll find out if we, we like I that. have. They might have a crystal clear clarity. I have still no clarity on what that means, <laughs> on what a cold IPA is. They're like, what's a cold IPA? And it's like, well, the hops are cranked up, I guess. <laughs> Now, what's odd is the next link on Google here says that it's fermented at warmer temps like an ale. And that seems like the opposite. What? Of a cold IPA. <laughs> so I'm perplexed. This is the first time that we've drank the same beer in so long. It is a very long time since we've done that. Are we going to be talk yeah, I don't talking about the I Taco don't Bell pop-up? It, yeah, that was since we last recorded last week that uh, we went down. To, I went down to Rose Temple Bar and waited for the uh, the Chachis slash uh, times uh, T.O. Baby. T.O. Baby's, Baby's pop up doing Taco Bell. And uh, it was great. The, the whole experience was great because I got to watch like 90s Sonics highlights or, or old 90s Sonics games that were playing in the bar there while I was waiting outside next to the heat lamp. So it was a, it was a good time. And then, uh, the, so which was your favorite? So we had the Mexican pizza, we had the Crunchwrap Supreme, we had the Nachos Supreme, and then uh, uh, the Fiesta cheesy Fiesta Potatoes. Yes. Which was your favorite of those four items? Okay. So that's a great question. Um, and as you know, I'm anti-crunch in my Taco Bell. So I'm not really a crunch wrap kind of guy. 
But by the time that you brought it, everything was soggy, which to me is a positive because, again, I'm anti-crunch. It's like, you know, they have the little like Frito type chips that they put in a lot of things, Doritos Locos Tacos and stuff like that. Um, just not my thing. I, w- I want a soft tortilla pretty much everywhere. Or I want like the gordita style, like a, like a thick soft tortilla. I guess still soft. Um, all of that said, so I thought the crunch wrap from there that I had was better than even the Taco Bell crunch wrap. But the special ingredient on all of the items and the thing that transformed it, because there was definitely an element of like, I could just go to Taco Bell, obviously not supporting a local business, was the smoked crema that they used instead of sour cream. I told you I told you this while I was eating that crunch wrap, and I was like, there's something you really did. smoky in here. And then I went and read the ingredients later. And smoked crema? I mean, come on! Like, uh, if Taco Bell were to add that to the actual menu, it would be game over for all you other restaurants like that would be it <laughs> that's if, how they won the taco bell wars i think it definitely were the be. fast food wars i yeah, should say that's how that's how taco bell would win the fast food wars john spartan and it, if they had smoked crema all the time i mean that to me was a game changer but smoked crema also on the mexican pizza i don't think i've ever had a mexican pizza from taco bell and let me tell you we must have at some point as kids but i it's not something i have ordered as an adult i don't know when the last time i would have had it was the joke is on me wow because it was phenomenal well the mexican pizza has been off the menu since some point in 2020 but it is apparently set to return back very soon so you can go to taco bell and pick yourself up a Mexican pizza. Uh, I thought that was the standout myself. No smoke crema, though. Uh, no, but the other just thing that differentiates itself from actual Taco Bell is that there were a variety of, you know, protein options because I think there was I think there was a a uh, a vegan option or at least a vegetarian option because obviously there's cheese and a lot of the stuff in, in crema. But uh, ordering the pork. That is not available at, at Taco Bell. That that also took it to another level, I would say. No, Taco Bell does not be digging on swine, really. No. Which is odd because it's like the the best protein, generally speaking. Wow. <laughs> protein. So? Kevin Pelton's proteins ranked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to go on the talking about arguing about food podcast and and give deliver my top proteins. You're but, saving but, your protein tanks for a... I can't hear your top proteins. This is for Nate Duncan. Is that the one you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Nate Duncan like and his it, sister it get to hear your setting. top proteins? You can't say chicken and beef and pork here? That's it? This is bullshit. I'm saying almost always, like, when you're first... Especially, like, at a taco place. Kevin Pelton's podcast option. ranked. Peltoncast is dead last, apparently. <laughs> Behind the Hoop Collective. Had a, was on there earlier this week. Maybe another podcast later this week. So, you were yeah, on there. You're just like, guys, I got to tell you, pork, number one. <laughs> but like if you're at a taco place, if you're at a, a taqueria, I guess is what you call that, the taco place, uh, pork is always the way to go, right? Maybe. I don't know. You just roll up to these taquerias, Nate Duncan in your headphones, smiling along. <laughs> I, I did listen to to Nate Duncan's Arguing About Food podcast on my way to lunch today. I'm sure you Where I went did. for the first time, it, certainly since the pandemic has started, in a long period of time, to Pecos Pit Barbecue, which still hits the spot. But I don't know if I'd ever had mac and cheese there before. Hello. 
which is relatively new to the menu. And and I gave that a thumbs up as well. <laughs> what, like, your rating system has thumbs up and numbers and letter grades. <laughs> it's like Charles Barkley's sentence. <laughs> First of all. Uh, but you got the pit beef though, right? Of course. Got the Pigos pit beef sandwich. Yeah. Well then. Yeah. The mac and cheese is just a nice side. I mean, you can order. I'm the, noting you the... didn't get pork. Oh, that is true. And that, wow, that is it one took situation you a second. I, I saw it in your pork. face. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not saying beef is a bad option. Kevin Pelt's proteins re-ranked. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that beef. It's brisket. So it's beef brisket is the style more than pork brisket. I I don't know what to tell you on that one. I'm not saying it's, I'm never going to order anything beef. I'm just saying in most cases, pork is the play. All right. I noticed you didn't say, you said, you didn't say you were listening to the Pelton cast with Mike Sean Dugar, which was a phenomenal podcast. I, I recorded you lived it, in. so I didn't need to, and then I edited it afterwards, so I did not need to listen to it again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Pecos, still great. Moral of the story. Ooh, that was the moral of the story a... in the end. <laughs> Pork was actually the moral of the story. No, and and also next Taco Bell pop up. Be sure to check that out. We saw that that Patton at the Patton checked it out. Uh, so that was that was nice to see that Peltoncast influenced one of the listeners. There we go. go. Just the listener. The it's not technically a podcast, but another thing I have ranked ahead of the Peltoncast oh is the Twitter Spaces I did last week. Ugh celebrating nba 75 built around gary payton a seattle themed episode with gp himself kevin calabro uh my former co-worker at the storm casey karahara who's now a an influencer and works with the nba and a lot of social stuff and somehow me and <laughs> somehow i ended up as wow. part of that group wow so they're counting viewers as part of the group also <laughs> <laughs> They let you on a Twitter spaces with, you said, Gary Payton? Gary Payton, wow. yes, was the star of the show. How was that? It was great. It was most great because of the fact that at one point, Gary Payton did compliment, multiple points, actually. He complimented things I said. Oh, wow. I would never. And thankfully, we have a clip if I can figure out how to share, my, share it on my screen here. Leave the silence in. <laughs> <laughs> like any year when you were doing you know the nba ranked we do at espn at the start of the year who's the best player in the league there was never any question Shaq was going to be number one there you go Perry. there you go cam way to talk baby way to talk talk about big fella talk big fella up baby you know my mom hey i got my mic back on just in time to hear that one baby big the man yes sir so there you go getting the gp cosign that's that's about as good as you can do, I think. Talking about Shaq being good? That was the situation? Yes. Okay. It's my controversial Shaq take. He also agreed with my subsequent take that Dwight Howard belonged on the NBA 75 list. All right. It's definitely a far cry from, from when we've played clips of people talking about you in the past, when they were usually saying negative things about you and or the computer. <laughs> No, sometimes it was third Pelton brother, J.J. Redick, saying positive I things. I guess that's true. I mean, you've got freaking Hall, NBA Hall of Famer Gary Payton agreeing with you on something. This is wild. That's a big level, especially, you know, growing up watching GP and Sean Kemp and Kevin Calavro broadcasting it and having two of the three of them on that 
Twitter space is definitely a a big moment for uh uh twelve year old Kevin Pelton. There we go. <laughs> is that is that available to go and run back if you're interested? Yeah, you can still check that out. That's how I was able to grab the audio since you can't actually download Twitter spaces. Mm. So we'll have a link to that, of course, in the post notes on SonicCentral.com. Okay. Ke- Should we get to our toast? Twelve year old Kevin Pelton. We can't access it because there's no, there's no internet in the Pelton household in 1994. It's going to be like six years until we get that. All right. First toast this week is congrats to Mariners draftee, David Ortiz, then known as David Arias, who was the lone player voted into the Hall of Fame Tuesday as the 2022 class. And this, of course, prompts the natural David Ortiz Mariners trivia, which is, do you recall the player they acquired when they traded David Ortiz to the Twins as a player to be named later? Who the player was that was named later? Yeah. No, who he was the player that was named later. But the player that they got, the oh, veteran the, player the that they got. the main player that they got. Yes. Uh, was that hard-hitting Mark Witten? It was not. No. That's a good guess. It's another player who spent the bulk of his career in the National League. From the Twins. He was with the Twins at the time. He he was traded to the Mariners, yes. Not Vince Coleman. Nope. Ah, I'm not sure if I'm getting this one. All right, the hint then that makes it much easier is they share a name. Arius? No. <laughs> David I mean he, he goes by Dave Dave Megadon no oh, wow this is wow we have really stumped uh, young young Tristan he was in the World Series in the season of record <laughs> Dave Anthony no. Is that even a person? <laughs> that was Eric Anthony. <laughs> you're just naming names now. <laughs> yeah, you're just Dave Johnson. <laughs> Dave Smith. All right, let's uh, give up on this. This made terrible, terrible podcasting, but the answer was Dave Hollins. Philadelphia Phillies third baseman, Dave Hollins. I got to say, the player they got in return. Dave Hollins is gone from my mind. <laughs> I still vaguely recall him from the stretch run of what was that, the 1996 season? Um, yeah, I he, I was never. You could have given me a thousand guesses, and Dave clearly you weren't. Was never that was never. I did not know that he played for the Mariners, and I barely remember his existence. That's an interesting one, though. Twenty eight games for the Mariners, huh? You need to play more with the Phillies and Griffey baseball. Clearly, uh, also I don't know why I called him Mariners draftee. He was not drafted, but he signed with the team as a free agent. Okay, as an international free agent, and began his career there. Uh, next up, <clears throat> Zion Tupula Fatui made it official. On Tuesday, he's returning to UW for his fifth season in a social media post, hashtagged Last Dance. So probably not going to take advantage of that six-year of eligibility he'd potentially have because of the pandemic. Uh, but awesome to have ZTF back for another season after he decided that he wasn't going to enter the NFL draft. Dave Hollins? Come on. I just, it was like one where I was like, oh, fuck, the people at home are going to be listening along. Oh, yes, very much But so. I don't even think Dave Hollins is not like, people were not going to be screaming that. I, I assure Some people, you. This is going to be at least one of the listeners will be like, how is it taking this long? I thought it, how, everybody knows those 28 games that Dave Hollins played for the Mariners. But it's also the trivia question aspect of it. 
I thought knowing that he was David Arias on the Mariners was enough. <laughs> that, that is a good piece of, piece of trivia as well. All right, the Sounders handing out, handy out new deals for their returning players like Oprah. You get a contract. You get a contract. You get a contract. It's in the past week, they've re-signed Will Bruin, Stephen Cleveland, Freddie Montero, Alex Roldan, and Kellen Rowe for the upcoming 2022 season. Uh, pretty much taking care of the key free agents that they had out there. Uh, we still haven't officially heard about new contracts for uh, uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz and Joao Paulo, but uh, everything seems well there, and they're going to bring back the the bulk of last year's team in addition to the addition of Albert Rushnak that we've talked about in past weeks. All so right. looking exciting. Uh, also getting a new contract, NWSL MVP Jess Fishlock, who signed a two-year deal with OL Reign with a team option for 2024 keeping her now in Seattle. There we go. But in, in the Puget Sound at the very least. Uh, and then also on this front, Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan have been named to the US MNT roster for the upcoming three World Cup qualifiers starting this Thursday through next Wednesday. So exciting to see uh, Jordan Morris. You know, he's been in the squad for some of these camps, but for him to potentially be part of a World Cup qualifier again would be very exciting. It's kind of wild. I mean, <clears throat> clearly a lot of faith in how he's been playing and how he's recovered from that injury. Uh, it's impressive. But also, I just want to say one more thing on Dave Hollins. I'm the same person who... <laughs> Luca, Still eating you? Luca likes, you? likes to quiz me about current baseball players. And there's a baseball player who I called Carlos Roldan. <laughs> <laughs> Which he really had a good time with. Do you know who that is? Do you know who that actual player is? No. I think his name is Carlos Rodone. Not familiar with and I called his, him, his work. I called him Carlos Roldan, and Luke <laughs> freaking lost it. He's been, literally been making fun of me about it for like three months. Because and I yet if him. we brought him on the podcast, he, would, he wouldn't say anything no, about totally it would totally freeze up. would totally freeze up. It's fine. When he gets in front of that, that uh, audience of literally once, he just, you know shrivels into himself all right so we've had the uh we last week mentioned that the nomination form is open for our search for seattle's most seattle person we've had a handful of submissions so far but definitely hoping to see more of them uh we'll probably continue to extend this for another couple of weeks here before we actually start bringing people onto the podcast to talk about their most seattle credentials have had some great nominations so far but one thing i think you wanted to point out is that maybe people are a little too worried about finding the perfect seattle person yeah and i would just we just want to hear every seattle story really <clears throat> any person who has any angle to be seattle's most seattle person i mean i'm out here claiming to be seattle's most seattle person on its own because i uh, misnamed the 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 double in 1995 right <laughs> For the record, I think that there's joint names that you could call it. Calling it the 95 slide is not ridiculous. I mean, there was a bar named 95 slide, so yeah. For those of us that like to acknowledge Ken Griffey Jr.'s history with the Mariners, and maybe a little bit less Edgar Martinez's history with the Mariners, we focus on his role in the play. Uh, I actually like to call it the 95 jumping in the background, um, being, <laughs> being on deck and saving the Sonics. <laughs> Seattle's 2021 Sports Person of the Year. That's how I acknowledge the moment. But that's 20, 25%. 25%. Uh, but maybe that's just me. Anyway, uh, we just want to hear... The, I, I don't think you need to be too worried about what it's like, because there's all sorts of Seattle stories and being the most Seattle. 
So, absolutely. I mean, it's such a wide open definition of what the most Seattle is, and that's going to be part of the fun is hearing all of these different different definitions as we talk to people. We so. we definitely got a submission from somebody who sounded quite Seattle, though. Oh yeah, there was one that really the group chat with the famous cousin Katie and, and Mrs. Fantasy Genius uh, exploded when we got the one nomination for sure. Okay. What do, you, what do you think of this beer, by the way? We never come back and talk about the beer. I don't know. It's pretty good. I feel like it does. I get the sense that it's kind of like it tastes like a lager at first, but then it's got the the bite of the hops. So I can sort of see where that, that description is coming the from. The cold. Yeah, the back end is definitely way, way more IPA. Right. I, I think a lot of these Fremont beers taste pretty similar, uh, but they're all good. So, Of course. That's great. It's not a complaint. Okay, it's time to uh, turn our attention back to your exploits on the sidelines because the season has begun on this week's episode of Coach's Corner. Oh, my God. So I, I was worried that I wouldn't have any content for Coach's Corner going in because you asked me last week, and I was just like, I, I don't know. We're just practicing or whatever. And finally had some games this last week. Literally practiced for two total hours with the two teams that I have coached uh, <clears throat> before having a game with them. So like any expectation that I'm doing any coaching of these children is absurd, right? I mean, I'm not sure how many hours it would require for you actually to be doing some coaching of these well, children, but certainly at this point, yes. I, I was thinking of this. Luca plays year-round baseball. He's playing baseball where they go into like some facility two days a week in fucking January, right? I, in January, we are going into a facility just like fielding grounders, and he does that on between Friday and Sunday he has had more time practicing baseball this week than I have had total with all, both of these basketball teams combined before they started having games. So like the amount of coaching that could even be done is very minimal. And yet. <laughs> so there's the first game that I had that was with younger kids, first graders. And let me just first off say the rules are that uh, you, you have one person, you wear wristbands to, to show who you're supposed to defend, right? So like a person is wearing a yellow wristband, you defend the other person wearing the yellow wristband. You're not supposed to leave that person. There also are strict rules against stealing on ball. If there's a loose ball, you could steal it. I think you might be able to steal passes. Not 100% clear on that. And let me just Pete Carroll style. I'm going to have a conversation with the league about the rules in this game. There was <laughs> rampant stealing in the first grade basketball game. And I am not okay with it. I'm on the bench. Wow. I, I am the number one person on the bench trying not to get angry at the referee in the first grade co-ed basketball game in the city of Rent. <laughs> but it's really hard. I did the thing. Like, I talked to the ref, and I was like, hey, can you just make sure that the other team gets back on you? Like, I don't care whether the team wins or loses or whatever, but it's boring to have the kids get the ball stolen from them, them all the time. You know, like, yes. stealing is it is too unequitable. If all you want to do is slap at the ball as first graders, you can get it every time, right? So the, there, was, there was rampant stealing going on in the game, and... You know, it was happening a little bit on both sides, but I try to coach them up right. You know what I mean? I coach them about the hit zone, right? Like, I'm like, <laughs> everything is clean that we're doing in those two hours of practice that we had. And I felt like the the refereeing that was happening in that game, it was a little bit of, there was some drone boger in the refereeing that was happening. So I, I was I was not happy with that. 
after the first game. So I went into the later game. Again, I practiced with these kids for two hours total. One hour, two, two, not even two consecutive weeks. There was, there was a week that I had COVID in between, right? So it was like one week of practice, week off, another week of practice. And <clears throat> so I'm like, I think this team is, I, I don't even know. I have no sense. I'm not around that many fourth grade ba- basketball players, right? Like, I don't know what good and bad is. And I'm like, I think we might get crushed in this game. And then so I walk in, I see the coach of the other team. And I'm, I actually know the coach of the other team and had previously coached uh, his son, who is like on that team, which is apparently how much I've coached that I now have coached children on other teams, which is kind w- of Would strange. you describe the this other parent as part of your coaching I, tree? In fact, I think I would have to. Yes. He was the first person <laughs> in the Tristan Carcino coaching tree. Am I part of your coaching tree I, since I, I was an assistant coach on I that team? I think you also are, but you haven't coached anywhere else. So like you're like in the coaching tree and you coach for one season with me and then you quit coaching for the rest of your life. Oh, <laughs> you're wow. like, yeah, I'm good on that experience. I I, do, I wouldn't describe it that way. It's more it's more there's a pandemic ongoing. A global pandemic descended upon us literally literally the last game was the day the day after the first local transmission was community transmission was confirmed here it was wild though like that so the the previous season that i coached second grade basketball i guess it was like january february to the end of february 2020 right a lot of anxiety in the air and the last Not, not nearly enough actually we were really nervous we didn't know at no point did we think to ourselves, man, we should maybe wear masks. I'm like scrubbing my hands, right? I'm touching the fucking check stand at Fred Meyer with, with my knuckles and shit like that. And then just going up to a person and breathing straight into their <laughs> mouth. But like I'm washing my hands repeatedly, but hanging out in a bar in Boston, <laughs> flying to Boston and hanging out in a bar there. Uh, was, God, that. So sinister. I remember being at that last practice, though. I wasn't at the last game. You actually coached the last game. Uh, that is correct. And the kid who we saw in this game, he was literally the last memory that I have of coaching basketball was he coughed one time at that last practice. It's like February 26 or something like that. 2020. And I was like, are you OK? I was like, what's going on? Like freaking out. L- literally, I was on 12. At the time. Anyway. So like we we get to this we get to this game I see them they show up and he was like we've practiced one time two days ago <laughs> like great okay I feel like we might be on equal footing here for these two teams like I feel a little bit less nervous and then as the game is getting closer I see that the other team only has five players I've got a full ten right and the way that it's set up is ten wow you you play five minutes on and then five minutes off basically so they're ten minutes we four ten minutes what like. Do we have like eight on the team? I think there's supposed ago? to be ten. I think there are nine. Okay. Which just makes it more complicated. So I'm just like, these five are on, these five are off, and we just rotate back and forth. It's actually very simple coaching wise. Uh <clears throat> so these other kids have to play a full 40 minutes of basketball, which is not it's a running clock or whatever, but like it's not that easy. The halftime I think is eight minutes. They're not getting that much of a rest. And we get out there. It is a total annihilation. Oh no! For Tristan Carcino's Cleveland Cavaliers, we are talking Evan Mobley, uh, 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 LeBron in 
in the 2016 finals. Was that the good one? They're they're all the good one for LeBron, for LeBron. They are game game one before J.R. Smith didn't didn't uh, take that shot, but like or did take the shot, didn't pass it to LeBron. Like you know, yes, is uh, a sidebar. Someone was talking about the greatest performance they've ever seen in ice in person, and I assume that LeBron's game one of the two thousand. That was the eighteen finals. That was the year that you're talking about. Were they won? No. That's what we were. We were before the J.R. Smith game. We were the Cavs after Draymond was suspended. Like this was total and utter domination. It's funny because all the children have different, different like recollections of what the score was. I heard today in practice fifty four to five, and he was like, "I was paying attention." I'm like, "No, definitely, definitely did not score that many points." But just a- absolute domination in every single facet of the game. And I'm sitting there. It's the only time that I haven't been like smug or been putting my hands in the air. Smug, yes. Actually, I take that back. I was smug. That I wasn't just like throwing my hands in the air upset about the referees or just like trying to like restrain myself. I thought, A, the refereeing was actually quite good because of the domination that my team had. <laughs> of course. I, guess. I thought the refereeing was solid. This is what happens when you get fair refereeing. <laughs> anyway, so like we got the kids are just like they're they're loving every single second of it, obviously. And after the game, all the parents are coming up to me and they're like, "Coach, great job!" It's <laughs> <laughs> like four or five parents who were just like, "Amazing job!" The kids look really good out there, and I'm like, "Yes, thank you." Mm-hmm. Yep. All coaching, I would say. Those two hours of practice that I had with the kids definitely coached them up to do this. NFL defensive coordinators do not matter at all. But you coaching fourth graders for two hours. I'm the I'm the person who originated the take, originated the take. Coaches don't matter, not defensive coordinators, not defensive coordinators, not offensive coordinators. Full on coaches don't matter. I, I, I'm toying with the take that coaches are less important than running backs. And I'm also toying with the take that I'm the greatest coach in the history <laughs> of man. I was sitting there. It's like, am I better than John Wooden? It was just like, are we about to win 10 straight champion championships? Like, is this, is this going to be fucking Bill Russell Celtics here with this team? There's only four teams in the league. So we're going to find out very quickly whether it was the the opponent that we're playing or whether the team is just very dominant. I think we'll find out on Saturday, but the kids freaking loved it. The parents, they could not have been happier with the performance. All of their children crushing these other kids. I felt pretty bad after the game. We were, uh, you know, we all had our hands together or whatever. Cause that's okay. Now would have definitely not been okay back in, uh, 2020 i would have panicked about that all of our hands touching but now that's the thing that we're okay with and i was like remember that that team only had five players we're going to play a harder opponents i was like y'all did amazing out there you should be proud of yourselves i'm honestly quite shocked how good you did and uh uh we were riding high it was like totally different approaching practice this week coming in all the kids they're they're cocky they're like they're wearing chains. They're demanding trades. They're asking. For, it was just like a post Super Bowl practice. All the kids were so confident in their abilities. So that was my week one of coaching. I'm now in, in games that they keep any score in one and zero with a total total domination victory. You know, we're going to talk later in the spot about a team that got people got. I don't know that they got high on themselves, but other people got kind of high on them. 
and then there was a bit oh, of a God. correction. And so, you know, I hope that uh, doesn't happen to your team. Although maybe if they're getting cocky, maybe I do hope that happens. <laughs> it was really funny. After practice today, one of the parents was like, oh, this kid's dad is the uh, basketball coach at Mount Rainier High School. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, that's really funny that you have me coaching your child. If their dad is a high school basketball coach at maybe a good high school basketball program. Bad that's alumni, solid. though. Bad alumni. Wow. I've, I've noted many times. <laughs> What a thing to say about a place. Uh, yeah, just it graduates bad people. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, you know, Dick Fain, present company. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Look, say what you will about me. Don't besmirch Dick Fain's good Dick name. Fain into this. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was just like, that's really funny because I'm just like, it was an hour a week. I'm like, let's just have scrimmage the whole time you know what i mean like the <laughs> only thing we could do is basically play basketball that's the only thing that's actually the other team was like stretching and i was like if there's one thing tristan carcino does not believe in it is stretching thank you you think we have one hour a fucking week and we're gonna waste some of that time stretching these kids do not need to stretch people end the stretching <laughs> i remember being a kid and just like is literally 60 minutes of practice and 15 of it is stretching. Come on. I don't think that was the case. It's not Ray Allen out there. Jesus Christ. The other team literally was stretching pregame. My team was in a layup line and they were stretching and I was just like, we're about to fucking smash this team. I was, I was like, nobody's going to cramp. Nobody's going to cramp, but, uh, but uh, we're going to win this game. I actually, I felt bad. I felt bad for the other kids. I kind of wanted to go over there. I'm worried that I'm going to be playing some of this audio next week. Oh, no. Like we often do. <laughs> you, uh, you know, I didn't go pull. Come up I didn't go pull any Matthew Stafford audio. <sighs> Whatever. We're, we're going to we'll save that. Give it a second. Look, Matthew Stafford, you know, the NFC championship game hasn't been played. Who knows what might happen in that game? It could it could go all wrong all go wrong for the Rams, but so far, we talked last week about like how Stafford had played better than Jared Goff had ever played in a playoff game. Now he's two for two on that, and set the bar even higher. We're th- that's it. That's all we're talking about. I did you have other coaches corner after that? Oh, I just didn't know that we were going into the NFL stuff. Is what I'm saying. No, I just wanted to bring that up as an example of you getting come up. Oh. We'll see. You didn't. You didn't see the transition there. We'll see the natural segue. The, the hardest part is like I just I always want to go play. That's it. <laughs> and when the kids like when it was like the kids that only had five players were losing, I was like, just send me out there. I'm right here. Definitely do not do that under no circumstances. How how many minutes? Okay, let's say that it was thirty four to five at halftime. Do you think that me playing my hardest that I could have come back and beaten those kids? Probably pretty easily, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, I think quite easily. Okay. I don't know. It depends. Are you are you allowed to steal in that league? Yes, you are. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> the way you said that. No half court defense. So menacing. Though. No half court defense. There's there's you one mean, kid who just no like, defense in the back court, right? 
yes, yes. No, no defense in the backcourt. Um, yeah. If we were in a press, it would be over. I remember my sixth grade basketball my sixth grade basketball team running a press. It was just like we had we had some numbers that was like you don't remember this? Wait, you were allowed to run a press? In sixth grade, I went to a different league, not boys and girls club. I see, went to the other league where you could and we yeah. we destroyed I'm like, you got Brandon Newnham and fucking John Salkeld out here running a press. Like it is not a competition. <clears throat> we in sixth grade were still in the boys and girls club. And then we went and played in a tournament. We definitely played at SPU at Royal Brome. I'm not sure where the other game was. Uh, that, uh, and Gerald all... Smiley on that team? Yep. Yeah. Future future minor leaguer Gerald, Gerald Smiley. Uh, so we were like going from not being able to you know double team at all or defend in the backcourt to a league where there to a comp tournament where there weren't any of these rules, and that was a major problem for us. Oh no! So we did not do particularly well. I always think about that. I kept the second game. I kept getting fouled and kept missing free throws. Oh, it was no. pretty terrible. I, I always think about uh, like when you think about the greatest athletes you've ever known, and how it's like like they're impressive athletes. Like Gerald Smiley is an impressive athlete, right? Brandon is an impressive athlete, and like the heights that they achieve are like I think Brandon went to the same junior college that Aaron Rodgers went to, right? And it's like when I see these parents so consumed with this kid's like year round kids baseball. And I'm just like, dog, like the chances of, of any of these children playing professional baseball, like maybe minor league baseball at some point, best case scenario, if absolutely everything works out right, maybe they will play minor league baseball, but the chances of any kid that, you know, playing in professional sports are so absurdly small with the amount that we'd like treat kids like they're fucking professional athletes when they're 10. It is just absurd. That is absolutely correct. I hate everything about it. And my child is playing three hours of baseball every Friday and Sunday. So he's having fun though. That's the important no, no, thing. He, he's doing it. That's uh, he's doing it because he has, he likes doing it. And Gerald Smiley, by the way, has gone on to like, be a, a, we've talked about him on the pod, I think, at some point, because of the fundraisers he's put together, these turned out to be a great influence in the community. So that's been awesome. Yeah, sweet. Anyway, Dave Hollins, come on. Well, let's talk about some future potential Mariners. Five of them in Baseball America's top 100 prospects, led by Julio Rodriguez at number two overall. Uh, three of them pitchers, right-handed pitcher George Kirby at number 12, right-handed pitcher Matt Brash at number 45, left-handed pitcher Brandon Williamson at number 83, and shortstop Noelvi Martin rounds out the list at number 18. So, Mariners farm system looking good. We'll see if we ever see them play baseball. I guess the is minor leaguers. They're not subject to the lockout at this point. Wait, really? So the minor leagues can continue? I assume so, because during, during the strike, the minor leagues continued operation what does that mean so. as far as the 40 minute like could they just if the mariners wanted kellenic to keep playing could they outright him off the 40 man roster you can't be on the 40 man because you could be on the 40 man roster and play in minors if you're on the 40 man roster though you cannot i think if you're on the 40 man you're roster, locked you're out. Sub, part of the mlbpa so i see i don't think so but julio rodriguez is on the 40 man roster right yes okay and hopefully it does not come to this, obviously. 
it, all the tweets uh, like i don't obviously follow this and like but like all of the tweets are like they say things or whatever and it's just like there's the mlbpa number and then there's the mlb number or whatever right and, and they're, they're like wildly yeah. different and they were like there's never gonna i think this was jeff passan or whatever it's like there wasn't gonna be a deal today there was never gonna be a deal today <laughs> I think it's setting reasonable expectations. <laughs> there might be a deal by next week, which is when they would have to have it to have spring training start on time is I, the expectation. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, I'm really, I don't, this is not information that I can process without pe- seeing a random tweet about it or whatever. And I'm just like, man, it seems like we're pretty far away from each other here. So basically what it is, is there's the arbitration money. They don't want to change arbitration, but they want to get a pot of money to be split among the best players that enter arbitration. Do I understand that correctly? I think that might even be pre-arbitration players, that what you're talking about, that bonus pool, mm. it's, which is something the NFL does do to a certain extent. I don't think the amount is very large, but they, you know, there is a bonus pool based on your snaps played and your salary. So it'd be similar conceptually to that. Who who determines this though? It's a formula. Okay. Not like an arbitrator in this case. So. All right. Well, good. As long as in baseball, it's an old white man who determines it. Well, as true to the sport. Uh, Seattle Kraken got a pair of wins in the past week as they've completed their six-game homestand, beat San Jose 3-2 on Thursday for their second win in a row, and on Sunday, 5-3 win against Florida, completing an improbable sweep over the Panthers, who are tied for a league-high 61 points is the time I wrote these notes on Monday and have just seven other regulation losses this season. Uh, But in between that, a 5-0 loss Friday versus St. Louis. And then earlier Tuesday night, they lost 4-2 to Nashville, snapping a three-game winning streak with Philip Grubauer in the net as Joey Decord was a goaltender in that blowout loss on Friday. Uh, Kraken now head out on a four-game road trip leading up to the NHL All-Star break, which features matinees both days this weekend against the New York team. Saturday, they face the Islanders, the other new arena this year uh, that was also constructed by the Oakview Group. And then Sunday, the Rangers in MSG. The Kraken are a little bit like the Seahawks. You can win seven games throughout the season. You can lose to the fucking Bears at home, uh, lose to Washington football team, et cetera, et cetera. And somehow have beaten the NFC championship participant, (laughs) San Francisco 49ers, twice. Yes. Somehow they seem to be better against good teams than they are against bad teams. I don't understand the logic on that one, but like the, the expansion Raptors beat the Bulls that year, I'm pretty sure. The Bulls Yeah. The expansion the Raptors definitely beat the Bulls. Bulls or no? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that happened. So maybe it's a along those same lines where <laughs> Teams are not willing to. Okay, for the record, I'm not going to compare Russell Wilson Seahawks to the expansion Raptors. No, I'm. You have gone too far to them. Okay, was that not clear? Yes. Okay. Fine. Was John Sally on that team? I believe John Sally was on that. Damon Stoudemire's Toronto Raptors. Well, no, David John Sally was on the Bulls at that point. Oh. Yeah, the Raptors did get a 109-108 win on March 24th, 19, 1996. Wow, really makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. 
we didn't talk about the storm last week, which uh, was an oversight because we didn't mention that they decided to use their core designation on Jewel Lloyd and not Brianna Stewart, which uh, suddenly became relevant when my former colleague Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports reported that uh, Stewart had met with the New York Liberty, quote, in a move that could end her storm career. So there was a lot of concern about this out there. Oh, no. What happened? Well, just this that that she's meeting with another team uh-huh. because you assumed when they decided to use the core designation on Jewel Lloyd, it was like because Brianna Stewart has wink wink basically said she's going to be back. So the fact that she's taking meetings is a bit of a concern. I I still think the most likely outcome is that Brianna Stewart resigns with the Storm, but I've I've adjusted that probability downward from the ninety nine percent I would have given you a week ago before that report. Wow. So I mean, I'd still say it's like seventy five, probably. Oh, seven. That's pretty low now. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm overreacting too. I again, I think it's much more likely than not that she returns. But it's it's a concerning scenario to have in play with you know the best player in the league, generally speaking. What I if. <laughs> What are those faces? If the Storm didn't core designate, right? That means that's basically like a franchise tag, right? Yes. Brianna Stewart. And then she were to sign with the New York Liberty. Where does this rank as far as bad front office decisions in Seattle sports history? I mean, I don't want to speculate about a thing that hasn't actually happened, but it would be very high on that list. I mean, we're talking the same season where both Husky football and Husky basketball uh, got maybe their worst losses in the history of the program. And as far as like front office decisions, we were talking, this would maybe be. Oh, the long-term impact of that would be much greater to lose Brianna Stewart in her prime. I was fully right about right after the Kraken st- segment about to declare the curse over. <laughs> you were? Partially just to move on from the curse. And I wanted to say a line about the curse. The the real curse was the friends we made along the way. And <laughs> like now that there's a chance, a, a, from what you're telling us, a legitimate chance that Brianna Stewart just leaves in free agency and the storm would have just let her do it, have had the opportunity to, to court designate her and let her walk. This is like fucking... Oh, uh, they'll get Odell Beckham in free agency. Well, if he doesn't want to be here, right? There's no reason to claim him off waivers. That's, But it's not even comparable to that. It's like if fucking Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen were on waivers and you're just like, well, we're going to get them on on free agency after. I don't know if I quite appreciate your comparison here. I would say it's maybe like calling up Alex Rodriguez for a couple of weeks in the middle of 1994 because you're upset that Rich Amaral is making errors and then he becomes a free agent a year earlier than he would have otherwise if you hadn't correctly manipulated his service time like any team would do at any point of the <laughs> last should have consulted 15 with, years. What's his name who got fired last offseason? <laughs> that man would have told you about service time manipulation. Kevin Kevin Mather was not in the organization yet as of 1994, alas. He said that it would be Kyle Seeger's last year with the team, and lo and behold, he seemed to know. <laughs> so that's out there. 
Wow. Uh, we we so do you, have that's, some. That's what you're saying. You think those are the two worst front office decisions? Because you can't say, like, not drafting a player. I don't think that's fair. I mean, because most any of the team other could like, have drafted whatever hypothetical like Hall of Famer. Yes, I I don't like that. I mean, you could say like drafting Rick Meyer second overall, but I think most teams would have done that in 1993. No, no, it's process it's more of a hindsight thing. The moment, yes. I mean, there's there's some stuff out there, but yeah, in terms of like first off, Brianna Stewart is probably the single greatest athlete relative to her sport to play in Seattle, I would assume. Wow. You just talked like about she, Alex Rodriguez and But she's she's better. A Rod <laughs> I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that Brianna Stewart when she retires will be considered the GOAT. Wow. Like it depends how many championships. She's gotta win more championships, but how does the Liberty like, There's roster a pretty look? good chance. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Well, they've got a no- they would have a number of ex Storm players. They would have really the core of the 2020 championship team together with Natasha Howard, Sammy Whitcomb, and, and Stewart. Wow, I'd sign there too. I I mean, I don't think that they would be better than the Storm would be with Stewart. Uh, but I, but Arod isn't the greatest of all time in baseball. King Griffey Jr. isn't the greatest of all time in baseball. So I I think she's the greatest athlete relative to their sport to play in. In Seattle, yeah. Wow. So we are talking, hypothetically speaking, if this were to happen, one of the worst front office decisions in the history of Seattle. Again, it's not a thing that has actually happened. And it might all just be nothing. It might all be nothing. But the one who's supposed to tell us it's nothing is you. And that's what I was expecting you to say. I was expect what I thought you were saying when you were like people were so concerned about this, and then she signed a contract. But then you were like, and nothing's happening. No, There's no, a seventy five percent chance. You're the I one who's supposed I, to tell I us. I may to be underestimating it. I I may be underestimating. I don't know. Wow. So some store moves that did happen last <laughs> week. Does it matter? is that they said farewell to uh, assistant coaches Gary Kloppenberg, third brother Gary Kloppenberg, since he was on the pod last year. There we go. Talking about Lauren Jackson, who is also in contention for the greatest athlete uh, relative to their sport ever to play in Seattle. And Ryan Webb, who will not be part of Noel Quinn's staff next season. Klopp and Webb were both part of the championship teams in 2018 and 2020, with Klopp, of course, serving as acting head coach during the 2020 Wubble season. He spent four years as an assistant during his second stint in Seattle, while Webb had been part of the coaching staff dating back to 2015. To replace them, Quinn added longtime college and WNBA coach Pookie Chapman, most recently the head coach of the Indiana Fever from 2017 through 19. After a six-year run as head coach of the Chicago Sky, she was also the head coach at LSU before that. Uh, Chapman coached Quinn with Russian club Spartak, along with Sue Bird, who's also a player on that team. And then the other new assistant coach is longtime WNBA forward Ebony Hoffman, who played for three teams from 2004 through 2014, teaming with Quinn for the LA Sparks in 2011. Uh, Perry Wong, who was, assisted to, who was promoted to assistant coach when Dan Hughes retired midseason, will continue in that role as the third member of the coaching staff under Quinn. The other bit of storm news, women's basketball 24-7 reported last week that Breon January is headed to the storm in free agency. 
January is a Spokane native who's played for the Indiana Fever Phoenix Mercury, where she won the 2012 championship, and most recently the Connecticut Sun. She started all 29 games last season, averaging 7 points, 3.1 assists per game, and started earning all defensive first-team honors for the fifth time in her career, while making 121500 in the last year of her contract. So would be interesting to see where she fits into the plans exactly, assuming that uh, she is indeed coming to the storm. Could be a replacement for Jordan Canada as a backup point guard, backing up both guard spots. Uh, we'll see on that. Our UW women's basketball uh, dropped a pair of games last weekend, a tough pair of games last weekend to the Oregon schools at HeckEd. Competitive in both games, even though they dropped to own four in Pac-12 play. Uh, fresh off their back-to-back wins over top 10 teams, Oregon trailed UW in the fourth quarter and led by just two with two minutes to go on Friday night before pulling away for a 47-41 win. Similar story on Sunday for the Huskies against Oregon State. They led 37-36 early in the fourth quarter of a defensive struggle. Uh, the, I'm sorry, 68-61 was the final against Oregon. 47-41 was the final against Oregon State as they went on an 8-0 run to give, to take the lead for good. This weekend, the UW women will face the Cougs, uh, both home and away. Washington State was unable to play their scheduled games last week due to COVID-19, but planned to return to action Wednesday, hosting Oregon State in that postponed game before this home-and-home uh, WSU beat Cal by 27 in their Pac-12 opener, also won at USC for a 2-3 conference record thus far after an 8-3 finish in non-conference play, and they sit number 33 in RPI. UW men's basketball. You're just like, the, first off, John Sally did play for the 95-96 Toronto Raptors. No, he played for the Bulls. Did he play for both of them? Both teams. Oh, okay. But you were fucking Dave Hollins is out here being like, you don't even remember Tony Massenberg on the 95-96 Raptors? <laughs> well, look, if we want to get into Jean Tabat and Oliver Miller and Tracy Murray, look, I can do this all day. El- Elvin Robertson, uh, there was the guy named Esposito Vincenzo. that I remember people making jokes about, like, because Phil Esposito was a famous hockey player, right? That's a great, they qu- needed great someone question. Named- they <laughs> needed someone named Esposito. Yes, Phil Esposito, uh, legendary Boston Bruin. That they needed someone named Esposito to uh, appeal to the fans in Toronto. You're just like you don't even remember Dan O'Sullivan's run on the '95 '96 Toronto Raptors. Okay, I have no idea who that individual I think, is. I think he but they had in five games. Jimmy King was on that roster, right, from the Fab Five. Uh, yes. Okay. So I can name at least eight Toronto Raptors from 1995. Well, you didn't get Stoudemire, did you? Well, I was, he was already mentioned. You're I wasn't counting him. Okay. wasn't counting him. All right. Well, good for you. <clears throat> Call me when you remember Sharon Wright. Oh, I should remember Sharon Wright. That's a good point. Number four pick of the draft. Wait, really? And he got traded Pretty that sure. fast? Yeah, after one season. One season in, in Philly, right? Yep. Wow. Not not a long career. Oh, he was number six. It wasn't quite that high. All right, let's talk about UW men's basketball, which got a huge win Thursday at Oregon State. Down 36-31 late in the first half. They took the lead for good with a 10-2 run early in the second half. Never saw Oregon State get any closer than five in the late stages of their biggest conference win this season, 82-72. 
Uh, Terrell Brown Jr. with 27 points on 11 of 18 shooting and five assists as the Beavers shot three of 19 on threes and a win in his acting head coach Hello. debut for Will Conroy, who stepped in after Mike Hopkins tested positive for COVID-19 on Thursday in Corvallis. So uh, a last minute change. It was pretty awesome to see the video, as Noah Cohen alerted us to, the listener Noah Cohen, uh, of the Husky players dumping water on Conroy after the win to celebrate his first victory. That and then seeing, you know, Quincy Pondexter on the sidelines, it, it is, I'll give Mike Hopkins credit here. He's definitely maintained, you know, the legacy of those early 2000s Husky basketball teams. Uh, that were so good and it's nice to see that kind of like lineage of the program carrying over to now yeah that and the number of players from garfield also similar to those early 2000s Mm -hmm. teams a real uh, and also their play on the court is a real nod to the bob bender teams of the early 2000s as well oh i don't know if i'd go that far necessarily but some people in this on this podcast were pretty hyped up after the game on Thursday. <laughs> I was telling you, I was mad that we didn't podcast so I could incorrectly predict that UW was going to beat Oregon <laughs> on Sunday. I was just ready no. to make incorrect predictions on Sunday. What did I tell you was going to happen on Sunday? Oh, God, what was the term? It might be a... Uh, 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 humbling. Yeah, humbling. <laughs> that was the term I used, humbling. Okay. And it turns out I understated the fact. <laughs> so on Sunday... Ken Palm describes it as a 40 to six run, which is a ridiculous thing to describe as a run because it's basically the entire first half of a 40 to six run. The Huskies scored the first basket, then said 40 to six run, and they trailed 40 to eight at one point in this God, game. What, I, I mean, am, am I the coach of Oregon? Wow. <laughs> uh, UW did outscore the Ducks 43 36 in the second half, but obviously much too little. Much too late in that one. We saw also what would happen if the Huskies caught the extreme wrong end of shooting luck as they went four of 20 on threes. Oregon went nine of 18 on threes. And what was Oregon in the first half on threes? They started out like seven of eight, I think. They shot 80% in the first half of the game, not on threes in general. It was was pretty incredible to watch. Like, this is a game that I, I don't even think you can describe it as a humbling. Because it wasn't, no defense is so bad that you should shoot 80%. Even Of course. So, like, it was just, Oregon got lucky. I don't mean to rationalize it, here, but Oregon, you, you rationalize it. I, this was a game that should have been a lot, like, obviously Oregon was going to win. It, they were up 40 to 8 at halftime. <laughs> <sighs> Oh my god. <clears throat> anyway, so the Bat- Batman Dark Knight returns. I feel like the football was football game was pretty good aside from when the stadium exploded. <laughs> if you take out that 40 to 6 run, the Huskies outscored them uh 50 to 44. I so. mean, we saw Heinz Ward scoring the touchdown. Like uh, I don't know what else you're looking for. Uh, <laughs> the it was not the forty six the forty to six run was not as bad as it seems on paper. The net result of this was the Huskies entered the weekend one hundred and forty second in the Ken Palm rankings and edited one hundred and forty third. So, I mean, from one standpoint, like if you're going to have a combined 
point differential of minus 18 on a road trip on two games set, you definitely want to distribute it so that you win one of those two games and lose the other by 28 points. Like they've been very efficient with how they've allocated their, their point differential so far this season. Uh, in terms of a predictive standpoint going forward, probably not great news. This is a it, whatever. I, I mean, they've I been don't good think enough this is to a be bad Husky basketball team. They they yeah. even in that second half they showed some fight. I felt like they did. I agree with that. I mean, they've been. Th- this is a question I posed to a friend of mine, and that this friend has posed to a number of people in basketball since since I passed this question along. Which that's is that's great because I'm in basketball the, also. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, the classic Bill coach. Simmons question of is this a good bad team or a bad good team? I'm not sure what and that the, means. I never really have figured that out. I've heard Simmons say it a lot a lot of times, and I don't I can, quite know what it means. I mean, I assume good bad team generally means you're playing a little above your head to be competitive, whereas a bad good team is you're playing down to the level of competition. <clears throat> I know that the and Boston I think, Celtics are a bad bad team. Um, no, they've won their last two games by, I believe, a combined 82 points. So the Celtics are getting it together. Three point luck. Yeah, I've heard that the Celtics were getting it together a lot of times in the last two years. I mean, I'm not disputing that. There have been so many times that I was worried about the Celtics getting it together, but for some reason it doesn't seem to happen. Chauncey's Blazers went in there and got a dub, baby. Um, and uh, But they, they got... Oregon was so lucky in this game. Like, I, I don't know how you don't see that. But there's a lot of room to be less lucky when you win by 28 points. I would score them in the second half. Are you telling me that Oregon wasn't trying in the second half? I'm not telling you they weren't trying. I'm telling you that there's a score. of There's what's known as the rubber band effect in basketball, that teams that are trailing tend to play better than teams that are leading. So I don't know that we can just say, take the second half, and that's the true measure of UW and Oregon. <laughs> Again, if you ignore the 40 to 8 first half. <laughs> well, that wasn't the entire first half. It was a little better than that. Oh, my God. I was prepared to say that the curse was over, but Brianna Stewart pulled me right back. She's <laughs> <laughs> not left. <laughs> Uh, Huskies back home this weekend to house, host the Mountain Schools, uh, who they previously played on the road. Colorado, 4-4 four and four in conference play, but all four losses to the top three teams in the Pac-12, Arizona, UCLA, and USC. They lost their home games to the LA Schools last weekend by a combined nine points. In between those recent losses to those teams, they crushed Arizona State by 18 in Tempe and beat UW 78-64 at home in their first meeting. Utah currently on an eight-game losing streak since the start of conference play in earnest, including UW's win in Salt Lake City. Played tough with the LA schools last week, and all things considered, losing by a combined 17 points. And before that, lost by two at Arizona State, but uh, just have not been able to get over the hump and win a game such far in, so far in conference play. Okay. So, I mean, the base expectation for this weekend would be splitting these games, but definitely a chance to win both. Yep. Real chance to win both. Chance to lose both. Slightly better chance to win both than to lose both, but the most likely outcome for sure is a split. All right. <laughs> when you when you said chance to chance to win both, chance to lose both, I was like, wow, this is commentary right here. 
When you play two games, you could win both or you could lose both. Look, I mean, again, you know, when you go on that 40 to 6 run, we know that a 46 run is bad, but if you throw <laughs> that out. Uh, uh, it's our, our weekly US update. Well, I'm saying if the Huskies were to win both of these, they're five and they're six and three in Pac 12 play. It's not technically the midpoint now that they play 20 conference games, although they haven't rescheduled any of the UW postponed games. Yeah, unclear when they're going to do that. Would you? <laughs> I think I would, I assume. They've been playing a lot of games on Monday and Tuesday nights, including go. the UCLA Arizona matchup earlier this season. Oh, how, this how was that? that? UCLA what won. UCLA won. Let's yeah. fucking go. Tell, can you tell me about the game? Uh, Kirk Carissa shot 0 for 13 from the field. As far as I, he might have taken another shot later, but he at least missed his first 13 shots before we started recording. <laughs> and uh, uh, Benedict Matherin, who we've talked about a lot in the pod, also struggled. So a tough night for the Arizona guards. Where was that at? That was in Pauly. How how much did UCLA win by? Uh, like I, I could look up the final score here as opposed to speculating what it might have been. <laughs> It, it was about to, no. He pulled away. UCLA seventy five fifty nine was the final. That's a big dub for UCLA. It sure is. I mean, yes. they're a legit team. Arizona is also a legit team, right? But they're. I mean, Arizona came in ranked number three. UCLA came in ranked number seven. Pac twelve basketball, was, baby. According to Ken Palm, he has the fan match score, which is basically the quality of the two teams, how close the game is going to be, how exciting it's going to be. So there's like some pace effects in there. It was the highest rated Pac-12 game ever on fan match. There we go. Wow. Does it know about that Dominic Green game against Arizona? <laughs> well, it's what you say going into the game, not like the game itself. Oh, like Clay Thompson versus Isaiah Thomas in the Pac-12 tournament? Like the individual identities are known. It's the quality of the two teams. The two teams. And how closely they're matched. Very good. Okay. Fair enough. Cold-blooded. I assume the Dominic Green game was rated pretty highly, although Arizona was, I'm sure, favored in that game. All right, U.S. update. update. They hung in with number one Gonzaga for a half before losing 78-62 in Spokane on Thursday. Then one at Pepperdine 71-45 on Saturday, continuing a rough season for Lorenzo Romar's young team, which is now 0-6 in conference play, 6-15 overall. But I got to tell you, all signs continue to uh. point toward Todd Calderas on his day. <laughs> because the Sun Devils lost 79-76 on Sunday, Saturday at Stanford, dropping to 2-4 and four in conference play. And then Bobby Hurley was fined 20000 and suspended for Monday's loss at USC after verbally confronting an official following a late three-shot foul on Arizona State in what was a tie game that gave the Cardinal the win and produced the final margin. Also, player Jay Heath was suspended that game. Uh, Arizona State had co-head coaches. He had one coach when they were on offense and one coach when they were on wow. defense for Monday's game. That's really a strategy you might consider employing with your team. <laughs> with you? No uh, way. Well, I, I didn't necessarily say me. It could be the famous cousin Katie. Could be anyone. It could be anyone. Uh, whoa. No. I also learned today that was me playing that Todd Golden, Bobby Hurley getting ejected. Todd Golden's parents are like ASU boosters. Not only is he from the Phoenix area, <laughs> his parents are ASU boosters. <laughs> So I feel like everything's lining up there. I 
Okay. Let, also, the pro- let me the judge as a basketball coach are too good. Whether that was a whether that was a foul or not, I couldn't see it very well. They I actually haven't seen the play. I I tuned in just in time to that game to see the winning free throws, but not the play. Was, and and Bobby Hurley getting getting himself in trouble, and I was like, Ooh, that's not going to be good for him. Did he get ejected? He got ejected after the game, so the game was over. And the game was over. Then yes. he lost it. I was going to say they're not even showing it on these highlights. Uh, what are you going to do? It checks the coach after the game. Is he was well? You, what you're going to do is suspend him for the next game and fine him twenty thousand. That's what you're going to do. He didn't even really blow up that much. I got to say, to go to head into um, <clears throat> my my first game with Lucas team on Saturday, we watched some Bobby Knight highlights. Uh, <laughs> did, did you? Well, he was threat. He was he hadn't eaten, so he was threatening. I'm back to coach's corner. Um, so he was threatening to not. This whole go. podcast is coach's corner at this point. He was threatening to not go, and I was like, "If you do not go to this basketball game, if you don't eat and chill the fuck out, here's what I'm going to do with this basketball game." And I was like, "Do I do I have a red sweater?" <laughs> so, somewhere in in my old house was a red sweater because I one Halloween dressed up is Ron Swanson, but you recall that when Ron Swanson coached, coached his team uh-huh. in Pawnee uh, Rex parks and rec basketball. It was an obvious homage to Bobby. Knight my team is a lot the, more like Burt Swanson team. pyramid, but uh, I was threatening. So it was like, we watched these Bobby Knight highlights led into the Lou Pinella highlights. Let me just tell you Lou Pinella, that guy loved to throw his hat and, and kick bases. And I was showing Luca, I was like, if you don't go to this game and compete your hardest, this is what I'm going to do at the game because I do not care. And uh, uh, he competed to the best of his abilities. Well, there you go. That's some coaching, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Threatening to blow up like Bobby Knight. The, the Bobby, Hurley, Bobby Hurley ejection is what I'm saying does not even register on that scale, though. Wow. Huh. Yeah. They were looking to find him. He's done. Not, he, it's, it's, it's an, Todd Golden is going to be the head coach of Arizona State next year. Like, there's no – we could stop the updates. I mean, it'll be fun to continue the updates, but, like, we're going to be updating on Arizona State head coach Todd Golden. Yep. Uh, you know, football news. They've scheduled a non-conference home-and-home with Tennessee Hello. in 2029 in Knoxville and 2030 in Seattle. The first ever meetings, assuming they don't play in a bowl game between now and then, I guess, between the two teams, both known for their scenic water-adjacent stadiums and sailgating. There they they refer to the boats as the Vol Navy. So uh, that should be a fun one. Hopefully the pandemic will be over by 2029 so I can comfortably travel to Knoxville and attend this game. Wow. Travel to Knoxville and, and possibly Hopefully be humbled again. Still going on in 2029. Oh no! Uh, some some transfer news. Is that where? Is that where the? Oh my god! Uh, I don't know where you're going with this one. Be sure to check out the Sun Sphere. I heard there's a lot of hats in there. You have no idea what I'm talking about. No. No, I got nothing on this one. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm familiar with the sun. I guess, yeah. World's Fair was there. Mm-hmm. Huh? I, as a, as space, a you know. uh, uh, World's Fair, uh, I don't know, a, Connoisseur? A, a appreciator, I guess. Wolf Parade albums, oh. World's Fairs. Yeah, I mean, only the, the 1986 I guess World's you're only Fairs. into expos, right? Yeah, it's the expo of record. Okay. 
The Expo of Record. <laughs> the Expo of Record. Well, let's have this be the Sun Sphere of Record. You'll go check it out when you go to Knoxville in 2029. Our UW football transfer news. Here we go. Uh, New Mexico running back Aaron Dumas announced that he's transferring to UW, a three-star recruit coming out of high school in West Texas who had 658 yards as a true freshman, averaging 4.8 yards per carry. Perhaps not coincidentally, his best game came against Kalen DeBoer in Fresno State with 23 carries for 143 yards, both career highs, and a 34-7 loss. Uh, Dumas will have three years of eligibility remaining. Uh, also announcing a transfer to Utah, Pitt linebacker Cam Bright, a sixth-year senior who played outside linebacker in the Panthers' 4-3 defense and was a team captain as Pitt won the ACC in 2021. Split starts the last two seasons, combining for eight sacks in 24 games appears he'll play inside linebacker for the Huskies given the recent adjustment of coach Eric Schmidt's assignment from defensive end to edges and positions of the players on the roster, as I said, noted by Christian Capel of The Athletic, which suggests that outside linebackers at UW will continue to be primarily pass rushers in the traditional 3-4 front that they've run the last few seasons, and off-battle linebackers like Bright will play inside linebacker, where definitely the Huskies could use some depth after losing several transfers, although they do bring back Edifuan, Yulafoshio, and Carson Brunner. And then also, kicking coach Alex Zendejas, uh, former Arizona kicker, indicated that his student Kevin Ryan will transfer to UW from Idaho State with one remaining student season of eligibility, presumably will replace Race Porter, who's completed his eligibility at punter. Ryan did go 21 of 31 on field goals in his career at Idaho State, but kicked on just three attempts last season as he primarily focused on punting, averaged 45.6 yards per punt with just five touchbacks on 58 punts. I'm excited about all these transfers. You know, just the the experience and depth coming in uh, at these positions. I mean, you know, running back is a fascinating one where I, I almost think it's kind of impossible to even know what the Huskies have as far as running backs. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Just after last season, when I think pretty much every running back on the roster was worse than expectations, and you have to look at it and say, these are running backs, this is probably a scheme issue, uh, even though coaches besides me don't matter. and uh, or, or an offensive line issue. Even that seems strange. But then Cam Bright coming in as well, and you look at that Husky linebacking core, when, when you take this Husky defense, obviously the secondary is a huge concern. There's still some experience depth coming back, though. But the front seven, I, I think this is going to be a pretty interesting defense next year. You know, seeing the return of ZTF, uh, Edifuan, like Savelle Smalls and that development that he has, uh, Carson Bruner and how, how good he was as a freshman. Like, I... And bringing in these players who are like, Cam Bright's a grown man, you know, coming in and playing linebacker in Seattle. I think that is, it's an important signing for this defense. Yeah, if you look at the running back depth chart, so they lose from last season, Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew, who kind of got the bulk of the snacks snaps at the end of the season. You've got Richard Newton, who started at the beginning of the season, Cam Davis, who played a lot. And then a lot of young guys who haven't played a ton. JV on Sunday played a little bit at the end of last season. Sam Adams the second is still in the mix. Really? Uh, I had, had yep. no idea he's still there. Yep. Uh, Caleb Berry and Emeka Megwa are a couple of redshirt freshmen on the roster. So it's a pretty wide open position, I'd say, behind Richard Newton at this point. So we'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. 
I love uh, that obviously Aaron we... Dumas' best game also, because it was against Kalen DeBoer, and it was a loss for New Mexico, right? Oh, yeah, they got crushed in that game. 23 carries for 143 yards and a final score of 34-7. to 7. Rashad Penny is the only running back that matters. Passing is very important. We obviously talked about the Seahawks a lot with Mike Sean yesterday. I don't know if you have any new thoughts on that or anything. On the Seahawks the only, in general? <laughs> the only the news that's out there I wanted to mention was that uh, former Seahawks defensive coordinator Chris Richard is making the defensive coordinator circuit doing interviews, not with the Seahawks notably, but well, yeah. uh, Ian Rappaport in, in, uh, reported that he's going to interview for the Steelers job, and then Josina Anderson reported on Tuesday that he's already interviewed for the Ravens defensive coordinator job, so... Uh, a pretty good chance, it looks like, of him getting promoted back into that position after serving as a defensive backs coach for the Saints. That'd be awesome. Definitely a supporting yeah. shard. All right. Well, okay, it's now the time that you get to pull up your receipts I, I thought, about the Rams and the Niners. You're you're good? That's it? That's all you had? I, I did it. I Look, the Rams haven't made the Super Bowl yet. Jared Goff did make a Super Bowl. But I did so. tell you, we made a bet on this podcast Oh, that's last true. I forgot week. about that you part of it. You didn't even yes. bring it up. I'm having to the remind NFC you. Uh, I, like, admittedly, when I saw that first possession for the 49ers in Green Bay and saw the temperature of that game, I was like, oh, they're not going to win this game. It's all on the Rams now. Packers by three touchdowns. But lo and behold, the, uh, the Niners hung in there and really played well defensively, and Aaron Rodgers did not have a great game. And I got to enjoy that Tampa Bay Rams game knowing that I had already won our wager, and then we didn't even consider the the stakes if two NFC West teams won instead of just one. So, what an outcome. Do you have anything to say in your defense? Uh, I just wanted to pull up the... It, it, the Niners Packers game was such a strange game and it was really funny. It was one of those games where, Oh my God, what's the freaking Georgia quarterback's name? Whose name sounds Stetson like privilege. Bennett. Yes. That's Bennett. It was one of those situations where it's like the interviewing Jimmy G after the game and Jimmy G getting to take the victory lap for it. And it's like, y'all they blocked a punt and return it for a touchdown. <laughs> I, I feel like everybody forgot that that happened. They scored six points. No, I, I did not forget that happened. They scored six points on offense. It's kind of wild that that's what happened. That's how this game played out. And somehow Jimmy G gets to take the victory lap. I mean, being the quarterback of a team that wins a game must be the sweetest thing. Just like being the coach of a team that wins a fourth grade oh, City wow. of Renton basketball game. But like, wow, it's all coaches corner. It's, it's pretty wild that Jimmy G could play the game that he did and still be praised after the game. It's not like he was bad or whatever, but like, no, I think it was fine. His QBR he definitely was did try to throw nine, you know, he definitely did try to throw many interceptions. Both teams were bad. You know, both offenses were bad. And I'm sure that was based upon just the situation at the stadium. I think a lot of it, uh, but ultimately, like, the huge mistakes that the Packers made on defense. I believe they call that the weather, by the way, the situation at the stadium. The huge mistakes that the Packers made in the, in special teams are obviously what cost them the game. Like, this felt so much, and the plays that the Niners made in special teams. But, like, aside from that, that was kind of it, right? I mean, look, if there was any weekend 
that should destroy the inane notion of QB wins. It's the 49ers winning with Jimmy Garoppolo performing like that and the Buffalo Bills losing with Josh Allen performing the way that he did on Sunday. But to reinforce the perspective of quarterback wins, the Packers losing with Aaron Rodgers the way that he played. Well, the internet had a fun weekend for sure. A well-deserved fun weekend. So good. No, I didn't even care about the bet. After after I really thought about it and saw how the internet was going to react to Aaron Rodgers losing at home again, it was just, it was phenomenal. And I, I really question... Look, I mean, we talked with Mike Sean yesterday that we don't, it doesn't seem like there's an obvious destination for Aaron Rodgers, but it also kind of just feels like things aren't right in Green Bay. You know, when you look at the salary cap and you look what that roster is going to look like, it almost, it, I think they are nearing a point of no return with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback, given everything that happened this year, everything that happened over the off season, things haven't transformed. They didn't get the excuse like the Seahawks had somehow the Packers had the number one seed in the NFC and ended the season more upset with their season than the Seahawks did. What you're saying is the cracking curse. Wasn't actually a curse at all. Wow. There's your 13 dimensional chess. <laughs> Russell Wilson getting hurt was the best thing that ever happened to the Seahawks. Going in seven and ten was actually great. (laughs) Really, do we really we've really completed the circle now? But it was interesting. Like we talked to Mike Sean, and I think after talking to Mike Sean, my perspective is that I think the Seahawks think that they're close. I think that Russell Wilson thinks that they're close. I don't think he looks at those two teams and says to himself. Like, it just, it feels different than the Buccaneers going and going and getting Antonio Brown. They ended the season bad last year. The offense looked bad over all of December and basically the playoffs. It things felt bad. Like, and that's where the Cardinals are ending this year. And that's why the Cardinals are going to be bad next year. The Cardinals are going to miss, they're going to be fourth in the NFC West next year. You could feel it. You could feel what there is. And it was interesting. We talked about, like, who were the core players on these teams? And I really think you look at the Niners and you're like, I this is I'm coming back to a pro Seahawks argument. Uh, who who are the core players for the Niners? Debo, Kittle, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, maybe yeah, Jimmy right. G, Trent Williams. I mean, still pretty like that'd be almost like including Dwayne Brown as like a Trent Williams is in thirty seven. How old is Trent Williams? 33. Okay, Trent Williams is quite a bit younger. Uh, and you look at the Rams, and like the Rams are like Stafford. I mean, the Rams have some very good players. Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. You look at that, and there was a conversation around the Cardinals. What? I mean, I think, I think we saw that the Rams, one of the things that stood out on Sunday was their star talent, like basically all played well. I, they ran including into... Von Miller. They ran into a very good situation. and Well, they just leveraged a lot of their future to get a lot of really good players. But in that we'll game against that the lasts. Buccaneers in general, right? Like, they got their defensive line against a Tristan Worthless Buccaneers. And they, sure. all, they still but they were, almost But they were without their game. starting left tackle. Like, it's not like... People have a real... I mean, this season that Cooper Cup is having is unreal. And, like, you obviously have to give Stafford some credit in this Cooper Cup season, but, like, 
I I'm Jared Goff could have made that throw. Like Jared Goff would never have made that throw and they never would have made that call. And that's why they traded for Matthew Stafford. They got a game from Matthew Stafford in the NFC divisional round where he basically didn't make a major mistake. And that is not going to continue. But it's, I mean, maybe it isn't, but it's, it is dismissive and inaccurate to just say that Matthew Stafford didn't make a mistake. He also had an incredible game. No, no, I agree with that. But what I'm saying is that it is surprising given everything we've seen from Matthew Stafford this season and his entire career to have a game like this. There's nothing in his history that would suggest that he would have played this game. No, I don't agree with that. I think there's the potential for Matthew Stafford in any given game to make a costly mistake, which is what Jimmy, makes Sunday so interesting. Numerous because costly mistakes. The same same thing is true of Jimmy Garoppolo, but also like it's just the the scale, you know, of potential the the range of potential Matthew Stafford performances is from like looking as good as any quarterback in the NFL to looking like he's never played the position before. And there wasn't that range of possibilities with Jared Goff. And if you put together four of those games, which like Joe Flacco is the ultimate example of this. I do agree with your Matthew Stafford is similar to Joe Flacco comparison. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't know whether he's vaccinated. Uh, 2011, Joe Flacco put together four of those games in a row and the Ravens won the Super Bowl. And if Stafford does it four times in a row, the Rams may well win the Super Bowl. That gets a the strong we'll see about that one. I don't. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's in the realm of possibility. And I don't think it was in the realm of possibility with the version of Jared Goff we've seen the last two seasons. I, I know it's one and game. And that's why the Rams made the trade they did. But like you look at that Chiefs-Bills game that happened on Sunday night, and I think it's really hard to say to yourself that either of these NFC teams can beat the Chiefs. Fair, although I think that they've also played better defensively than the Bills did in that game. Literally the number one defense by DVOA. They they didn't necessarily perform to that level. Because they were playing the the fucking Chiefs. You don't perform to that level because you're playing the Chiefs. I suppose we'll see. You want to, What are you even? I mean, I think the Chiefs about? are the favorites. I agree, the Chiefs are the favorites. But also, the other takeaway from this last week has got to be, shit is very random in a one-game playoff, which is why road teams, underdogs, won three of the four games and almost four out of the four. It easily could have been four road teams winning. Wow, the Chiefs are shockingly bad in DVOA. They're behind both the Rams and the 49ers. They had a pretty rough stretch. Have the Seahawks the risen in DVOA during the postseason? Well, yeah. They're now up if to the eighth. Rams, I think they were eighth the whole time. But if the Rams and 49ers play well, since you played them two times each, that will improve your DVOA. It's like the Huskies jumped up like 30 spots in Ken Palm during last year's NCAA tournament. Because all those <sighs> other Pac-12 teams kept winning. God damn it. The season is so freaking annoying. I can't even believe it. Well, that they're, I, don't they're, know which will, I don't know which will be more annoying to you if the 49ers make the Super Bowl or if the Rams make the Super Bowl. I can tell you confidently which will be more annoying to me. Oh, because one of them will be talked about differently on this podcast. There were four NFC West teams in the top 10 in DVOA as of this moment. And the Seahawks not being the lowest of those four teams is just, it's too much to handle. The season that we had, like, 
all of the evidence, I've made this argument over and over and over again, but you have to accept that the evidence points toward running it back. I mean, I don't, like, it leads to running it back being an acceptable outcome. I'm still not convinced that it's the best outcome. Because fourth downs are going to occur at some point next season. They finished eighth in DVOA, despite Russell Wilson being out for three games and Russell Wilson being very injured for at least three games. Yeah, doesn't that all point to you should get a coach who takes advantage of that? Of Russell Wilson being injured? Of your offense being top 10 despite Russell Wilson being injured? I don't even know what that means. My point is, if you don't believe scheme that matters... Besides motivating the locker room, all that matters in a coach is making decisions in-game. And Pete Carroll is bad at making decisions in-game. So obviously they should fire Pete Carroll and replace him with someone who's good at making decisions in-game. Who is the coach, though? Because these other good offensive-minded coaches are not good at making... The... Sean McDermott you can necessarily make say good that... decisions in game. Literally, who is the coach? Well, Sean Sean McDermott is not a defensive offensive minded coach. He was a defensive coordinator. But I'm just saying, I don't think because of the, the fact offensive that the Mc, coach McVay Sean McVay Shan... can't make good decisions in game. Kyle Shanahan doesn't that... make good decisions in game. Who are these coaches? Literally, you're making up a coach. Kevin Stefanski is what is the coach? You want to fire Pete Carroll and hire Kevin Stefanski as head you coach? You can't tell me coaches don't matter for like. An hour and 30 minutes in the pod. And then in the last five minutes be like, well, we can judge Kevin Stefanski because Baker Mayfield was bad. But I'm just telling Pete Carroll you, is really good because he has Russell Wilson. You turn over Russell Wilson in his prime to Kevin Stefanski. I'm saying you don't turn over Russell Wilson in his prime to Pete Carroll. Also, Russell Wilson may or may not be out of his prime. He probably is out of it. I told you this entire podcast that coach matters for the record. <laughs> coach is you? <laughs> Like, we've already podcasted for three hours this week. We don't need to continue picking okay, this fine, fight fine, about coaches. That's ridiculous. You know is ridiculous. Whatever. Whatever. Hire Kevin Stefanski. This is the worst argument for a fucking head coach that I've ever heard. Brian Dable has this offense with the Bills, and you're like, yeah, Kevin Stefanski, that's the one. It's bullshit. The point is that not all offensive-minded coaches are opposed to to making database decisions in games just because Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan bat might be. That's the point. Do you, do you understand that? Okay. I mean, defensive, some defensive coaches, defensive-minded head coaches. Sure. Obviously, Brandon Staley is the ultimate example at this point of making database decisions within games, and he's a defensive-minded coach. I'm just saying, that's, if you don't think that schemes are actually that important... That's the thing that matters that coaches actually can control. That players can't control whether you go for it on fourth down, unless you count Lamar Jackson like talking John Harbaugh into it. But I'm pretty sure John Harbaugh wanted to go into it. He just needed to hear Lamar Jackson say, wanted to go for it. He just needed to hear Lamar Jackson talk him into it. That the confidence in his voice. What are you expecting to happen this weekend, though, for the for the Niners and the Rams? I mean. I think it's probably pretty close to a toss-up because the Rams are the better team and they're at home, but the 49ers do seem to have a scheme advantage. So It'll be a fascinating one. It will be. All right. Well, uh, I strongly hope, <laughs> given everything that I've said about Matthew Stafford and this trade that the Rams have made, <laughs> for, <laughs> that somehow I'm cheering for the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl. 
lifelong Jimmy G fan. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks. All right.